The 2022 political field was intense, so don't get left behind in 2024. If you're running for political office, the first thing on your to-do list needs to be securing your name on the web with a yourname.vote web domain from GoDaddy.com. Get yours now. It's Chuck Warren with today Kylie Kipper. We are excited to have with us today the host of Deck the Hallmark Guys. Um, we are with Brandon Gray and Daniel Thompson. Gentlemen, welcome to our radio show, Breaking Battlegrounds. Thank you for having us. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. So let me ask you this question. So Taylor Swift now has a course at Harvard. Is Harvard going to talk to you guys about doing a course on Deck, you know, Deck the Hallmark? Very least they should. We should be in talk. Yeah, <laughs> I, I do think at this point we are a little above Harvard. That's right. Yeah, but if they asked, <laughs> we would consider it. We would talk about. They can't be uh, our, our riders. Our riders are. It's crazy. That's very important, um, dear listeners. So, um, what Brandon and Daniel do is they have a podcast that basically reviews all the Hallmark movies. Um, Brandon Gray loves them. Daniel Thompson. He's a little grumpy about him. Did you both see this becoming the success that it has become when you started it? No, no. I, you know, we, we recorded one episode in uh, the summer of 2018, and I listened back. And I had tried other podcasts in the past, like reviewing bands I like, talking to people that believe in aliens, like anything that I'm interested in. And of the things that I had done, I was like, this is funny. And I do like listening to it, and I do think other people will listen to it. But I always assume uh, that if anybody listens to it, it's going to be I'm going to be happy with it. So I knew that a few people would find it. I didn't think that more than a few would, and I'm thrilled that they have. Especially six holiday seasons later, the fact that we still get to do this and turn it into a full time job, uh, it really is the dream. So uh, over the moon excited that they are listening I, i'm on the record as saying i a hundred i thought a hundred people would never listen so i like <laughs> under 100 um but you know what we hit something at the right time and right we were very fortunate i mean at the time there was like two or three other podcasts doing hallmark movies and then none of them had dudes doing it like there were no dudes right talking about hallmark christmas movies and then none of them were like super duper critical so like i'm I will be like, this movie's trash. It's terrible. Like, we <laughs> so I think that, you know, and we're trying to do it joyfully without any cynicism, but I, I think the the combination of dudes reviewing Hallmark movies with an actual critical take of something, some sort was something that that space had just not seen. And we just happened to get there first and love each other enough to where we sound kind of like we, we and, do on the podcast. And it's like 50% film criticism, 50% really bad improv. Yeah. So that yeah. combination, I think yeah. uh, it works for us. And yeah. uh, uh, thankfully a few people listen. So Dan, how did, this. Oh, go, go ahead, ahead. Go ahead, Kylie. Um, no, go Dan, ahead. Kylie. How did you, what did Brandon say to you to convince you to watch your first Hallmark movie? And do you well, remember your first Hallmark movie? I do. Like it was just, it was for this podcast. I'd never seen one. I minored, in, <laughs> I minored in film in college. And then I went on to teach history. And then I was a, I was actually a high school principal and brand taught at the school where I worked for a couple I, of years. I quote unquote it taught. Did, it didn't last. <laughs> There's a reason I'm not a teacher That's anymore. Right. It didn't last. He left that and he, he and I like would try to stay in contact and as much as we could, but he's loved Christmas since the moment I met the guy, like literally his wedding vows, like weird wedding vows. Like I promise we'll always love 
celebrating the holiday together. I mean, we got married in December right before Christmas, so it wasn't like till that weird. Till death and wreath do they part. And, <laughs> and so he he was like, hey, I'm going to do this podcast. I think it's fun. You're, you'll hate these movies. And I think it will be a lot of fun if we did this together. And so he sent me, we're going to do this one first. It's called Rocky Mountain Christmas. And I, I was going to, I watched it. I laid in bed and I'm like, let me give this. <laughs> and I turned it on and I had to turn it off. I literally 20 minutes in, I had to stop. <laughs> I, had to, I had to take breaks. It took me three sittings to finish watching that movie. <laughs> and, and weirdly enough, that movie Rocky Mountain Christmas is one of the better ones. So <laughs> like, like, Looking back over the, we've done. You didn't know how good you had <laughs> 700, we've, we've watched over 700 movies for this podcast. And I would definitely say that one's one of the better 150-ish. <laughs> so it was going to get worse before it got better. But it it's tough. Like when you start, you're just like, is this real life? Like do these people, like there's no set of any kind. And then there's like six Christmas trees. And then it's like, why are we? Who what who has a Christmas Eve evening business <laughs> whose big promotion is on Christmas Day? And why are, like and so what and they, he's saying all this as if it's a bug. That's a and feature. They, and they all have a festival. They all have oh. a Christmas festival. Someone's ah. leading a Christmas festival. The party planning is out of <laughs> like just like stop. Everybody stop. And it doesn't whatever amount of time they give in the movie is always a red alert amount of time. So sometimes it's like, we have 48 hours to play in this Christmas party. And sometimes it's, we have two weeks to play. It doesn't matter. The time does, it's like the points and whose line is it anyway. It just doesn't matter. Like however much time they give you, that's not enough time, right? So <laughs> it, it, it just is absurd. Uh, and so once you get in the swing of it and like used to what you're gonna watch, I've grown to like love to hate them. Like, so I know the actors that are in them now that come on our show and they're super great and kind and they're making these movies in 15 days. And so I've grown a lot in that regard where I don't just kind of say all these movies are trash, but I, I still, you know, by and large, are, am not crazy about them. So, so, let me ask, so let me ask you both, let me ask you this question. So you've had a, a lot of the actors on, a lot of the writers. Okay, you've watched 700 of these movies. <laughs> you're very, for Grumpy Dan, you're very blunt that a lot of them aren't good. Does this confuse the Hallmark audience that you have this this pro and con effect of these movies? You know, because you know, does it confuse them? Because they love them, obviously. I will say this: I think we were shocked to find that a lot of the Hallmark watching audience watches the movies like we watch them. Mm. Like they watch them, they know that they're silly. They don't yes. take them seriously. We thought that was a small percentage of the population. It's a very large percentage of the population, and so I think that was a big surprise. Yeah, and I and I think the people that uh, maybe aren't on board with, like you know, there are people that are like, I don't understand why you don't like it. It's just so happy. <laughs> and, um, I don't get Dan either for that regard. But there are um, a lot of other great Hallmark podcasts out there that uh, are truly there to have fun and just celebrate the movies. And then we're over here that are trying to take a more like film criticism approach to these movies. And I think both of those are perfectly valid and needed in this space. And so um, just like a Hallmark, there's hopefully something in there for everybody to uh, gather around. And we kind of are, are happy to be the, the voice that kind of 
I, I love a lot of them, but I, there's also a lot that I can poke fun at. And that's part of the, the thing I love about the movies is, is oh, that she- there, there was one this year where this couple went to France with the reporter and they had that annoying girl that was French. As a matter of fact, I remember listening to one of your podcasts about it. She was just, she was horrible. I don't know why they even put her in. I mean, you knew immediately when she came in, she's just horrible. Yeah. Yeah. The accents happens. can be tough. The sometimes. accents are difficult. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Why do you think this has become so popular? I mean, it's so popular that Lifetime's in the, in the gig now. I mean, other 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 cable networks are on it. Why do you think this has become so popular? I think I think there's two questions there. You know, I think the reason that people watch these movies are threefold. I've said this in a lot of interviews, but they watch them for three reasons, to to remember, to forget, or to dream. They, they don't watch them <laughs> because they think they're watching cinematic masterpieces. They're watching them right. for a bad day that they had, forget what they're going on, what's going on in their life, and they know something's going to end, end happily. They watch it to remember when times were really good or some festive tradition they did as a kid, or they watch them to dream about a time when, when it'll be better. I, I think that's why people watch them. But the reason they're becoming popular is, is I think, A, they're really cheap to make. Um, you know, Hallmark makes these for $2 million. There are a lot of companies that make them for less than $2 million. B, I think COVID really like spawned this, like a boom here because you're making these movies in 15 days. Right. Get back to their families. The protocols were all followed in these movies. You don't have these three, four month long shoots and more people are staying home. More people got used to staying home as part of their routine during COVID. And so, it was already trending upward, but I think COVID, while initially it made them there fewer in 2020, in 21 and 22, you saw a boom in these movies because it put people back to work, easy to make, cheap to make, easy to produce. And like you said, the number of networks that want to cover them has exploded. I mean, Roku, uh, INSP, right. Up TV, Lifetime, Netflix, Hulu, like there are dozens of networks that now want to get in the Christmas movie game. Because it's cheap. And if it's cheap, then you know that they know they can make money on it. Brandon, do you think in your bio it says you love Hallmark movies? Is that one of the reasons that you love them? Because I know myself, I, I love them as well, but I'm no movie critic. I think I've watched every movie and I <laughs> yeah, like them. No, so. that's, you're so kind. Lord, no, I'm not a movie critic. Um, yeah, it really started with more of a love of Christmas. Like, I'm just obsessed with Christmas, have been since I was a kid. Like, most kids, most people, I think, get a little bit older, and they're like, hey, it's Christmas time. I like that. I actively look forward to Christmas all year. The reason the podcast started was I, literally spring was here, and I was sad it wasn't Christmas, and I just wanted to talk about it. So it, it spawned out of that love of Christmas and when I found, I think like 2014 was when I discovered that these movies existed. Uh, the fact that there was a, a network that in you know late October switched to 24-7 Christmas. Honestly, it could have just been Christmas scenery on a loop. And I would have been like, it happened to be something that worked for me. Like I thought that the movies were endearing, um, if not cheesy. Like I thought it was, I, I, they were nice and nice to look at. Um, I, I had never seen a non-Christmas one before starting this podcast. So that was an adjustment. Uh, the Christmas ones are a lot easier for me to just be like, I don't really care about how silly that thing is that happened. It was Christmas and it worked for me uh, a little bit different during the year, but over the, I find the movies to be darn, uh, darn, um, um, charming. So, I do uh, too. 
works for me. Well, we have two minutes before we go to break, but for each of you, what is your favorite Christmas or Hallmark movie? Ooh. My <laughs> Hallmark Christmas movie is probably Ghost of Christmas Always. Okay. Uh, it's a movie that takes a spin on uh, the Dickens uh, Christmas Carol, and uh, it's got Reginald Bell Johnson, who was in Family Matters, Tim <clears throat> Matula, Ian Hardy, um, and a really well well written movie uh, by Zach Hug, I believe. And I like the movie this year, A Built More Christmas. Uh, Chris Palaha, who was in our first movie we ever watched, it was filmed an hour north of us, and it's just a magical movie to watch. So that's my favorite. Do you have a favorite one, Chuck? No, I don't. Ha- well, I can't think of the top of my head. It was last year, though. It came out. I'll figure it out before the next segment. But I had one last year. I think I'm a fan of um, all the ones with Candace. Uh, the, oh, yeah? The, the woman from uh, Full House. Who, so, And, and that, that gives us a great segue. Gentlemen, how do people follow your podcast before we go to break? Find us at deckthehallmark.com. They can follow us on the social medias at Hallmark Podcast. You can watch us on Philo TV. Fantastic. We're breaking battlegrounds.vote. We're here with the folks from Deck the Hallmark. Um, We'll be right back after this commercial break. At Overstock, we know home is a pretty important place, and that's why we believe everyone deserves a home that makes them happy. Whether you're furnishing a new house or apartment, or simply looking to update and refresh a few rooms, Overstock has everyday free shipping and amazing deals on the beautiful, high-quality furniture and decor you need to transform any home into the home of your dreams. Overstock, making dream homes come true. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds. This is your host, Chuck Warren, and I'm Kylie Kipper, filling in for Sam Stone today. Um, we are here with the host of Deck the Hall pod- Hallmark podcast. <laughs> and before break, um, I had mentioned that my favorite actress or the favorite movies were Candace Cameron, and that led to a question that Chuck had. So Candace Cameron famously left Hallmark last year. Is that correct? Yeah, she did. She sure did. Yeah. yeah. Do you do you think that has been a problem for Hallmark? Why do you think that was a good move for her? What are your thoughts on this? That's a really good question. It's a great question. Hallmark's rating, TV ratings have are have improved this year over last wow. year. Wow. Almost all linear cable television ratings are going down. I mean, virtually all TV ratings are going down because you can watch things on DVR. You can stream them on demand. Hallmark's ratings have actually time period versus the same time period last year have gone up. They've improved. Uh, and the reason they've improved, I think, is because uh, they've expanded kind of the the nets of, of uh, inclusion of what people look like on the network. Um, you know, for years, Hallmark was pretty much just straight white people. And and uh, they've they've expanded what people what, who can see themselves on the network. Uh, Candace. Uh, made a move uh, to a network that was more uh, focused on uh, traditional traditional family values, traditional marriage, um, whatever you want to call that. Um, and I think she's happy with the move. I won't, I don't want to speak for her. I think she's. We wouldn't. We I, could. I, we couldn't. I, I think <laughs> she's happy with that move. Um, their network has not seen. I mean, near the. I mean, they're they're have not seen near the numbers. Uh, but it's an upstart it's network, startup, startup um, cable TV network. So I feel like both sides would probably say that they're happy yeah. with with the outcome. <clears throat> I think as a fan of the movies, it is it's been a really beneficial move. Um, as someone who just likes these movies, because 
when we started the podcast, the the network, even as someone who's a fan of the movies, it did feel like the network was sleepwalking a little bit through the season. Every uh, you know, forty printed movies at the same forty time. movies, yeah. the exact same formula, and that's where the memes come from of people that are making fun of how every Hallmark movie is the same because they were. And I think if anything has come out of this shakeup, it has been a network that has said, let's throw the formula out, maybe not all together, but a good bit of it. And let's just try new things. And they're not always going to work. There was a movie this year, Holiday Road, that was very different and wacky for the network. And it wasn't one of our favorites, but it's just good to see them taking swings um, and trying to switch things up. And so... Uh, for me as a viewer, and I think a lot of viewers would say this, this year's crop has been one of the, the most yeah. fun to watch because you go into each movie, all 40 of them, and it's nice to not know exactly what they're going to do. I think the hardest thing for these movies would be coming up with the titles. 100%. Yeah. There's been a movie, the movie this past year, past week that came out um, when we were previewing it or something, and I was like, I honestly, I cannot believe this title has not been taken. Yeah. <laughs> In like one word here and moving it there. What if instead we like, of uh, take me back to Christmas and it's yeah. like there's a take me back for Christmas and, and it's it's very hard to like you're gonna like that's the thing I think they're gonna run out of is <laughs> is is names for these movies. It's yeah. crazy. So have they have you been asked to be background characters or a character in a Hallmark movie yet? We were on set uh, at the USS Yorktown in Charleston to be in a movie called USS Christmas to, as background as yeah. background actors. And we sat on that boat all day long. <laughs> it's a horrible job oh, being a background actor. It, it's horrible. Our scene, our scene never came up. They, they were running <laughs> we were losing daylight, something. They were like, come back tomorrow. And we were like, no. And it was like, you know, uh, they were back filming from COVID. So we went down to Charleston, got, got COVID, COVID tested, test. came back, yeah. went back, back to Charleston, sat on a yeah. Uh, all day long. Didn't get yeah. used. They did pay us because we were back there. They paid us the, it was 108 bucks yeah. to be there sun up to Sunday. <laughs> like we left, we left a day in Charleston on a three hour drive back, tired from sitting on a boat with a $108 check in our hand. <laughs> hey, you, can't even buy, you can't even buy podcast equipment for that. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. They were like, they looked at the money, like we couldn't come back. I'm like, Ma'am, like this is a full like podcasting is a full time job for us. Like we don't yeah. just sit around and do nothing. Like it's <laughs> crazy. What have you What have you learned about Hallmark through this process? I mean, they make a movie for two million dollars. What do they probably do? Make triple, quadruple their investment on it. I mean, what well, have you learned about Hallmark through the process? Uh, well, I think Hallmark is a place where, as long as you're a good natured person, they'll invite you back to do more work. I think I've learned that. Most everyone we <laughs> talk to in the network. Uh, are good, good-natured, good-hearted folks who have their hearts in the right place. I also know that their business model is a little bit weird. You talked about like turning it for three or four times. Well, they typically like they acquire movies, and then the movies they make in house. Every movie's under a different LLC, so it's like uh. USS Christmas movie was actually made by USS Christmas LLC, and they do that so they can have rights for like thirty days, and then they actually sell the rights. Um, so the there's the, tax incentives with each yes. LLC. Wow. Wow. Okay. So the, okay. The, the way that they run their business is not like a movie making empire as much as it is like uh, the other thing I'll tell you about talking with Hallmark and we're not affiliated with them, obviously, but we've had our chance to talk with the brass over there and they're super kind is they, they didn't real like Hallmark movies took them by surprise. So Hallmark meet a crown media 
is is now the bigger subsidy than like Hallmark sure. makes more money off of movies than gift cards than greeting cards now. So they are constantly trying to figure out what to do with this growing empire that used to be just a subsidy of theirs. And that is something that they would even tell you they're still trying to wrestle with and figure out what to do with themselves. And so in that instance, even though they are a billion dollar company, they're kind of like a small, small town company trying to figure it out. And they do, they do present like that. They really do. Is there anything that you guys have learned about yourselves after starting this podcast? You know, maybe, maybe you're a grumpy Dan, you're a little less sense or a little more sensitive now or. Yeah, I think I, I have come around on understanding the context of what these movies, like I used to just be like, this is pathetic. You know what I mean? I used to, (laughs) this is pathetic. Let's move along. And now I'm, I, I I do like the folks in these movies are professionals and sometimes they will, they will hit everything. Perfect. The, The script will match the acting will match the locale and the director and they have the ability to elevate the material. And so I'd like to think I've grown in that regard and I don't just sit down and go, all right, here's another dumpster fire we're going to watch. I, I, feel like I feel like I've grown in that regard. Yeah. I mean, I think we, we've we learned a lot about just this business of podcasting. Oh, yeah. You know, being able to do this full time. We have uh, made a lot of mistakes. We've created things that we look back and go like, man, we really tried to do too much at once when we first started. So whatever right. it is. And so just as... Uh, entrepreneurs just trying to figure it out, figure out what our strengths are, what uh, how we can kind of work together to to make this company thrive. And I think we're in a nice little sweet spot right now. Great. Um, we have one minute before break. Can you tell people how to follow you? And if you have any upcoming projects or podcasts coming out, feel free to let them know too. Absolutely. You can uh, find us at deckthehallmark.com on the socials at Hallmark Podcast. And you can watch our video exclusively on Philo. That's philo.tv slash DTH. Um, Christmas season's over. The pod don't stop for us. We, we cover movies from every network. We've covered the Fast and Furious movies. We've covered movies. <laughs> we, we cover TV shows. We cover stuff all year long on Deck the Hallmark. Brian has a podcast called Christmas Morning where they celebrate Christmas every week. It's real stupid. If you want a little dash of Christmas spirit in March, Christmas morning is your, your is your place. Um, so yeah, a lot going on in our neck of the woods, and uh, and uh, we'll be it'll be Christmas season before you know. And it I'm sad we didn't get to talk about policy, but we'll we'll talk about that next time, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Merry, yeah, yeah. Gentlemen, Merry Christmas! Have a great holiday, and we look forward to having you on again soon. You've been fantastic. Merry, Merry Christmas. Yeah, Take care. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your host, Chuck Warren. I'm Sam Stone. Folks, you've heard us talking for a while now about Y-Refi. If you haven't been on their website, if you haven't given them a call and checked it out, you really need to do that. With Y-Refi, you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return. That's right, 10.25% fixed rate of return. If you need your money back at any time, there's no attack on your principal. You can choose to compound your interest. You can take it as monthly income. You have fantastic flexibility. And this is an opportunity to do well for yourself while doing good for others, helping students get their student loan debt under under control. Folks, check them out. Invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI24 and tell them Chuck and Sam sent you. Fantastic. Well, we are here with Celeste Edmonds. She has wrote the book Garbage Bag Girl. 
And Celeste, instead of, there you are holding it up. Instead of me going over and giving a synopsis of the book, why don't you tell us a little bit about the book, why you wrote it, and how we got the title Garbage Bag Girl. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Um, So the story is uh, my life in the child welfare system, specifically really concentrated on the areas between the ages of seven to nine, when I had the most fluctuation between foster homes and living with family members, drug rehabilitation centers, hotels. It just kind of takes you through what that looked like. It's very, very detailed, very graphic, just a little warning um, with some of the experiences that I had. And um, we really hope, um, Richard and I, that a couple of things will happen. And that is one, people will have dialogue about the child welfare system from the standpoint of how how can I help? It's been around a long time, so how can I help make a difference? And then at our Christmas box house emergency shelters where we take children in because they're removed uh, because of abuse, neglect, trafficking, or homelessness, they are in state uh, state custody and confidential. And so oftentimes the wonderful items that we receive from the community never those folks never get to meet these kids the kids never get to meet them and i really hope that there's in a little bit of insight now into what their lives look like um so people can better understand you know what child fair a child welfare really really looks like when we take children and we put them into a system we're with celeste edmonds she is the author of garbage bag girl also with her today is richard paul evans um who helped co-write it and she actually is his executive director at Christmas Box International. You can buy this book, by the way, folks, at CelesteEdmonds.com, Amazon.com, or RichardPaulEvansStore.com. Um, let me ask you this question real quick. Was it therapeutic, or how hard was it to write this book? And I'm sure you've had these memories a lot, but putting something down or writing like this for others to read, you're saying, I'm vulnerable, but it also makes you courageous. How, does, how was that for you, and how... Does it relate to you being better at your job? Uh, so it, it was both the hardest thing I've ever done. And I've birthed three children, <laughs> <laughs> just for the record. And also um, very rewarding and healing on the other side. Coming out of it, it allowed me an opportunity to um, work through and forgive uh, people that hurt me and also forgive myself for some of the decisions I ended up making due to the the crazy place that I ended up being in my head. And it, it so it really did both. It took me through a lot of trauma, for sure, in writing it. It was very, very difficult. And then I came out, you know, on the other side, feeling much, much more healed. Um, I would say that I, I questioned for a while whether I made the right decision to publish it. It was really hard when it came time to kind of push send on the email, if you will, I had a moment of, oh gosh, my kids, my family, it wasn't strangers so much. It was like people that know me are going to read it and they're going to have this deeper insight into some very graphic stuff. And I got, I did get a little nervous with that. I'm not going to lie. That makes me anxious for you. Yeah. Yeah, we have just about a minute and, and change before we go to break here. We're going to be coming back with more uh, from Celeste Edmonds, author of the new book, Garbage Bag Girl. It's a depressingly Unfortunately, Celeste, and we'll get into this more after the break, but your story is is depressingly too common in the child welfare system. Um, elements of but we it. We do get to have happy endings. Yes. Right? <laughs> 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's a fantastic happy ending to write this book. How much are you hoping that this will change the direction of some of the things that we're doing in child welfare? I'd like to say that I hope it changes it a lot, but here's, you know, here's the challenges. Um, having gone through it in the early 80s, and I think about how much has and hasn't changed today, and really that's complicated. Anything involving policy, as we know, takes 10 years to, to influence, but I think we can talk about it. I think there's other ways that we can influence it besides, um, you know, a state and federal level uh, quickly. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a critical discussion to have, and it's one people don't want to have because it's looking into something that is is dark and oftentimes very uh, intimidating for folks. Thank you, Celeste, for joining us. We're going to be coming right back with more from Celeste Edmonds here on Breaking Battlegrounds. Folks, make sure you check out our podcast and website, breakingbattlegrounds.vote. We'll be back in just a moment. At Overstock, we know home is a pretty important place, and that's why we believe everyone deserves a home that makes them happy. Whether you're furnishing a new house or apartment, or simply looking to update and refresh a few rooms, Overstock has everyday free shipping and amazing deals on the beautiful, high-quality furniture and decor you need to transform any home into the home of your dreams. Overstock, making dream homes come true. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your host, Chuck Warren. I'm Sam Stone. We're continuing on right now with Celeste Edmonds. She is the director, executive director of Christmas Box International and author of the new book, Garbage Bag Girl, which you can find on Amazon, Richard Paul Evans Store, uh, com, and others. Uh, and before we went to break, we were talking a little bit about uh, what a difficult experience this is. Uh, Richard, I know you've had... Uh, an opportunity to write so many books that have impacted so many people. What was, you know, what was your collaboration on this project and how important was it for you to help tell this story? When I hired Celeste to be my personal assistant. So I knew, I knew her as a, as a young chick. And, and are we allowed to use, are we allowed to say that anymore? Uh, We can on nine, we can on 960 AM, the Patriot continue. Go ahead. (laughs) <laughs> well that was um i meant like a chicken right? yeah, yeah, yeah 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 we we got it we're we just know, giving, kid, you, got time. We're okay, giving so you a little she, christmas um, grief she would drop she would drop little hints about her childhood and they would i was like what <laughs> what are you telling me and and then she told about this day that the last day she saw her father it was so moving that i put it in one of my books finding noel i thought what a great thing to add the book was huge. I mean, People Magazine, Entertainment Weekly jumped on it. It was a huge book. And um, I said, we need to write your whole story. But that was a long time ago, like 27 years ago. And it took her this long. I mean, she she, she went from work with me to help me to found the Christmas box house. And then she um, went down the commercial world and she came back. I said, you know, is it time, Celeste? And and so um, I was it was exciting and it. There are parts when I read the whole thing, I'd call her and I'd just be very emotional. It's like, I'm sorry, honey. I'm sorry you went through this. This was really, really rough. So um, it was a blessing to write it, um, but also then to take it out. The book's selling really well. And um, I have 46 New York Times bestsellers. So to be able to bring it out and then hopefully into a movie, um, it's been exciting to work with Celeste and to uh, see the success of this book. Richard, when you talked Celeste into doing this, 
You know, it's sort of like a at a park putting an acorn out for a squirrel. This this is a hard thing to write about, right? I mean, I I, I get anxious just hearing about what you went through, and I don't. I'm gonna buy the book, and then you'll I'll be depressed. I'm sure reading it, and. But did, were you concerned, like, I'm taking this dear friend, and I know, Richard, how how protective you are of friendships. Did that cross your mind saying, I'm sort of putting her on a blank and saying, you need to become vulnerable here so people can learn. Was that hard for you to make that decision and encourage her to do this? Well, I know Celeste well, well enough to know she wanted to do it. Okay. I never would, would have pushed her into something that she wasn't able to do and wanted to do. I mean, she would bring it up, not me. And um, I mean, I have enough books I'm working on. Right. But she would, I wanted to help her to birth this thing and um, also to be there because every now and then she'd call me and she's like, I, I can't do it. I can't write this. It's too much. And then when I get some of it, it's like, you got to go deeper, Celeste. You need to be, you need to share the real story. And that's where we went back between being graphic and not graphic. It's like, it's not enough to say he took away your innocence. It's like, we need to know what happened with this, with this man and, and there's some real villains, but make no mistake, Chuck, the, the story is is hopeful. And her ending, I couldn't write a better happy ending, and it's all true. And that's what's, I mean, if you look at Celeste and listen to her, she's resilient. She's she's a powerful woman. She's all, And I've never worked with anyone who's more passionate about what she's doing. I mean, she doesn't, she doesn't punch a clock. She's working 60 hours a week. Well, let me ask you this question. Um, we're the Celeste Edmonds. She is the author of Garbage Bag Girl, which you can buy on Amazon.com. Celeste, what makes you unique? Because a lot of people who go through this horrible childhood, bouncing around 30 different cities, having a garbage bag for your, you know, for what you owned, why do you think your situation is different than many others that go through this and their life is just one of turmoil over and over and over. Well, in writing my story, one of the things that uh, helped me get my head around is that when, you, when you're in it, you don't think so much about this perspective. But as I was writing it, I was able to think about and even interview many of those kind of guardian angels that's, that came in at very unusual times, popped into my life and made a significant difference to just get me a little bit further before the hammer dropped again, and then someone else would come in. And so I think it's important always in, in trauma situations to go back and visit and think through the people that came along in your life that helped you. And the further, you know, the more you understand that, the more you understand yourself, the more you build kind of this resiliency muscle, I call it. Give, give us an example of one or two of these guardian angels that stepped up and were part of your growth process, your healing process. So there's a lot of gens in the book. That's just uh, a coincidence. <laughs> at least you, did, uh, at least you didn't so use like Karen. One, two, at least you didn't use the name Karen. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was the generation. changed it. Nobody we, we, likes that. We uh -uh. went a generation and like a quarter of the girls on the planet got named Jennifer. <laughs> poor, so. poor Karen. All right, continue. It's so, it's so, so true. So tell us a couple so, of the gens. Um, one, of the, one of the gens, the most significant, who I actually give credit for um, saving my life literally because she ended up picking me up physically throwing me over her shoulder. She's much, much taller than me. Um, and we're still friends today. And she started hauling me down the street. And she's like, my mom said you can live with us and you're not gonna go through this anymore. And she's just freaking out, screaming. And it was her and then it, her mom. Cause you think I was, I was legally adopted into a family and this mom went out of her way to basically legally harbor a minor. 
and take me into their home. And so those are two guardian angels just in that family that really stepped up for me. How's it been having a, 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 I'm sure Richard Paul Evans has been a big influence in your life. How important is it to have a Richard Paul Evans say, I believe you. I mean, he hired you as an assistant, right? I mean, I I think a lot of people don't understand, you know, come on, I need you to answer the phone, get some things for me. But, you know, I'm sure he saw more into you. What does it mean to have a Richard Paul Evans in your life? And how does other people need to be stepping up and doing that role as well? Uh, It's actually a fabulous question, because when I first started working for him, I was only 21. And I was newly married, going to have a baby. And all, you know, all this trauma had happened. And there's also some some religious trauma that came came into play. Um, And he recognized really quickly his diamond in the rough and used very strong language around being able to be successful and being proud of me. Those are things I'd never heard before. And it gave me a lot of um, trust in myself that somebody that could be credible would be willing to step up and give me a platform and a voice and trust me and I trust them. And I think that, you know, we get into corporate world, nonprofit, it doesn't really matter. I think we get really honed in on people's credentials very quickly. And we don't take a step back and look at what they really have to offer. And I kept saying to him, well, I haven't finished my bachelor's degree. And he's like, I don't care. It, it, it's irrelevant right now, right? He just kept really giving me this focus of, you have all these other skill sets to offer the world. And it took him a while. I didn't really believe it. Um, and he just pushed and pushed. And we've done really amazing things together. So I think people need to really build the strength of where people are versus what they don't have to make a difference. Celeste, earlier uh, when uh, Richard was talking, he he talked about you would be sending emails as part of this process saying, I just can't go through, you know, can't go on, can't relive this. How much did pressing through those barriers or did it help you going forward to to, you know, put some of these uh, experiences that you went through um, in a better place in in your mind or, or put your I guess put your life in a better place, put those further behind you? Yeah, he um, I would send him texts and, and we go back and forth. And I the moments I questioned were because. I was questioning whether I would really be able to write about them. I, there's a couple of things in the book I've never told anybody until they were written. And so it was really just encouraging me to be courageous. He, uh, of course, always said, if there's something you're definitely not comfortable with, we won't write it. Um, but in full disclosure, I also have a, a trauma therapist on speed dial. So <laughs> because I, I, you know, I always say uh, now I believe everyone should write their story. I don't believe everyone should publish their story. But I do believe everybody should write it. The the ability to recognize what you've accomplished in your life and look back through it is really a miracle to yourself. And it really starts to build, again, I call it the resiliency muscle. It really starts to build this strength you didn't know you had because you get to say, I'm kind of a bad A, right? I, I, mean, <laughs> I, made, it, I made it through something. And it really gives you kind of a grounding perspective about yourself and then to be able to take that into my role today as executive director only burst that empowerment. I mean, it just makes me, our motto is every child deserves a childhood. And I extend my message that no child deserves to feel like garbage ever. And I think that that, I mean, that just gives me this strength every day to say, we we can do it together and, and make a difference. Well, and you brought, 
You brought up a really important point here, and this is a question for both Celeste and Richard. And Richard, I'll start with you. We often, as human beings, don't realize the progress we're making, right? We're a little too hard on ourselves. And Richard, how have you found writing and then reflecting back on it makes us realize we are making impressive steps forward? And I think you probably saw that in this book a lot, probably more than ever, after you got done writing and said, you know what? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. <laughs> do you find that with writing, Richard, when you go and do that and do it intently, that you, you see the progress you're making? Yeah, well, you know, it's the 30-year anniversary of the Christmas box. And this is still my best-selling book. It sold 8 million copies, if you can wrap your head around that. I look at my books today. They're much more sophisticated, much more complex. And yet that book had the magic. And so I look at it. It's like I've grown as a writer, which is my idea. But, um, yeah, I can see the I've written 46 best-selling novels. So, um, But also I wanted to add that I think it was uh, Kant, maybe Sartre, who said um, – Life is understood when we live, look backwards, but unfortunately, we have to live forward and uh, looking forward. And that's really looking back over the time that we had. Uh, I can see the incredible growth, especially in Celeste, because um, I don't want to say she was a project, but I, you know, I saw her and I thought this diamond, she's going to do great things. And she doesn't see it yet, but I do. And to see that she has accomplished those great things, she was named Utah Woman Market Marketer of the Year. She's done some really cool things, and now she's doing a great job as director. So it's been fun to watch her step into who she really is, and that's all I wanted to do is help her see who she who she is. And I think this book is kind of the what do you think, Celeste? Kind of the the final touch. To say, okay, yeah, you know, I hate to say it's a, it's my last chapter, if you will, but. Really, the Christmas Box International, um, it's my legacy. It's not a job for me. It's a it's something I'm passionate about. It's something that in, next to raising my children will be what I'm the most proud of. And people always ask me, what do you want out of your life? I want to leave it better than I found it. How, better how, than I put how, into it. How old are and your I, kids? How old are your kids, by that. the way? <laughs> how, how old are your kids, by the way? My oldest son is 28, uh, my middle daughter's 25, and then I have an almost 19-year-old. We're gonna, we have two minutes left in this segment. Then if you don't mind staying with us 10 minutes more to go on the podcast, I want to talk about Christmas Box International a little bit here at our Christmas-themed show. How did your three children react after reading the book? So my 19, almost 19-year-old, my youngest, read it first, and I um, – came home from a speaking event and um, I knocked on the door and asked if I could come in and I walked in her bedroom and she was sobbing. Oh, yeah. She was holding the book and I was like, mm, okay, that's what just happened. And I could tell she was close to the end where she was holding her hand in the pages. And I just sat by her um, and I, I said, honey, are you, are you okay? Is there anything you want to talk about here? And she kept crying and crying. And finally she's wiping her face off and she said, mom, I just want you to know how proud I am of you. You are such an incredible woman. You're an inspiration to me. And we both cried. And then something really even more cool happened. She um, left and came back and she walked in the house and she was holding chocolate milk and Funyuns. And once you read the book, you'll understand it more. It was the last treasure my dad gave me when I was seven. They were my favorite treats. And we sat together and ate those and drank that and had a crying moment of, she wanted me to know that she saw me differently and she heard me and she read the message and all it did was empower her, which made me 
you know, feel good. Yeah, 100%. Been better if it been McDonald's, because then we could have got some sponsor money for that. But nonetheless, <laughs> we appreciate that. We'll be continuing on on the podcast segment. Make sure you tune in for that, folks. More with Celeste Edmonds and Richard Paul Evans and her, about her new book, Garbage Bag Girl. Stay tuned. Check us out also, breakingbattlegrounds.vote and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Merry Christmas, folks. The 2022 political field was intense, so don't get left behind in 2024. If you're running for political office, the first thing on your to-do list needs to be securing your name on the web with a yourname.vote web domain from GoDaddy.com. Get yours now. All right, welcome to the podcast segment of Breaking Battlegrounds with your host, Chuck Warren. I'm Sam Stone. We're continuing on right now with Celeste Edmonds. She is the author of the new book, Garbage Bag Girl, uh, describes her experience, unbelievable, horrific experience, being raped, tortured, horribly abused through the child welfare system. Today, she is the director of the Christmas Box International, helping tens of thousands of children worldwide a beacon of hope and resiliency. And we're going to be talking a little bit more about the Christmas Box International because it's an incredibly special thing uh, that you all are doing there. But before we get to that, um, I want to talk a little bit about your experience, the child welfare system, how it's evolved and how it hasn't. Um, because your experience, unfortunately, everyone's experience has unique elements, but the overall story is one that I've heard before dealing with the child, you know, child welfare issues. Celeste, how many kids right now uh, do you know are in the child welfare system and how common are experiences like yours among them? Well, I can tell you about uh, five, almost 500,000 children, almost half a million are in foster care. And you think about um, that number and them once a child reaches the age of four... Celeste, let me stop you there one minute question. Will you explain people the difference? I don't think people understand. What's the difference between a child in foster care and one up for adoption? I don't think people understand the difference. Well, kids can be in in foster care and and waiting for biological parents to understand and accept and go through the program that the state, uh, their state is telling them they need to do in order to get their children back, right? So there can be a a temporary hold on children in the in foster care. And then some right away issues are just too big or, or parents have been working on it for several years and it's not turning around and they've been, you know, deemed adoptable, if you will. Um, but I think the you know the challenge is that once a once a kiddo reaches the age of four, their chances of being adopted drop fifty percent. And it's because understandably so people wanted a, an infant, right? That you can raise and you don't you don't know all the trauma that came with them. They don't have as much baggage. And so I think those kids are really the ones that start to get left in the system. They get transitioned a lot. Uh, many of them are heavily medicated. We call that mood management. And by the time they emancipate or graduate out, they're graduating from a system. They're not graduating from a family of support. That's mm-hmm. unique different right then like my my children they could come home where are these kids going to go home to and um statistically if a child emancipates uh foster care and they don't have a place to go they have an average of three days before they get approached by a trafficker yep and that sounds awful to all of us and it is awful but to someone that has no other option 
they don't view that as a bad gig, by the way. And we know long-term ramifications, how bad that is. Um, so it's just, it's it's a complicated system. Desperation breeds those kind of decisions that have lifelong impacts. One of the things, you know, obviously alluding to the title of your book, Garbage Bag Girl, I don't think most people understand, Celeste, um, and, and, you know, t- talk about what happens when someone ages out of that system. Yeah, it's it's a it's a critical time. And one of the reasons, you know, when I was hesitant of publishing because I was scared about what people would read and how they'd react. And if I'd hurt somebody's feelings, I was still kind of in that place. And I had three young women after a speaking engagement walk up to me who had gone through um, homelessness mm-hmm. and they'd come back into finding a good program for themselves to help them learn life skills. And they were crying so hard. And one of them said, we just want to tell you thank you for sharing our story collectively. And it really hit me hard at that moment that um, I really was sharing a collective story. Even though our experiences are a little different, there is a collective mentality that starts to happen of lack of support with children. And I also realized that they trusted me very much to, to carry that message. And so it really you know, empowered me to make that decision. But the, the statistics are, are, are fairly glim um, overall for, for kiddos who emancipate foster care. And it's, it's because of that reason I mentioned, right? It's because they're leaving a system. They're not leaving necessarily a, a family unit. Now those foster homes, they're not all created equal. I have met some kids that have had an, an amazing experience. They still connect to that loving family that treated them like they were their own. They go back for holiday stuff. And that's the difference. They they have they had a home like my adopted mom in the who the book's dedicated to told me homes where they have to keep you, sweetie. They don't we don't kick you out because you said something wrong or you offended me or you made a decision I didn't like. You you always get to come home. And they're not hearing that message. They're not mm. hearing home is where they have to keep you. What would be your advice, Celeste, to somebody because what happens, I, I don't. I think a lot of people don't understand. When you age out of that system, if you're not in one of those good, loving type foster environments, and many, some are, many aren't, yep. you're given a garbage bag for your your life possessions, and you're kicked out the front door, totally adrift. What would you tell somebody who's facing that? What a kid who is 17 and getting ready to have that become their the next phase of their reality? What would you tell them to do on that day? I would tell them to find the fastest resource that they can. Um, usually that's around um, a, a teen specific, not an adult, a teen specific homeless resource center. Those are very available in most states and they offer wraparound care. So even I would tell them, even if that's temporary, you're going to find those hidden treasures and those programs that are going to help you get the things you're going to need. And today, that may not be love. That may be hard job and life skills. That may be, what do you, do you want to graduate college? Uh, there's probably funding for you to be able to do that. Get very critical in your mind and start recognizing where your power is. I know there's a gap and you're hurt and everyone deserves that love and that home. But in the meantime, you have to function. And you're going to do that for yourself. Now, if I may, okay. if I may interject, um, within four, within two years, four to eight months, half the kids who leave this system will be either pregnant, homeless, abused, or dead. Half? Could you imagine the guy half? up there? Yeah. 
if you got up within graduation and said, congratulations, seniors, but this is where half of you will be. Yeah. The thing is that makes it tough, though, is that these kids are also the problem because you don't know what you don't know. And so they'll actually say, no, I don't need help. So it's less said about finding the place. The kids are the problem themselves that they'll say, no, I'm good on the street. I can do and they go out there and then all of a sudden they're caught up by traffickers, drug dealers. And so to build a relationship you can connect to, that's what's important. And to build a place of trust. Would it, it, it I'm always I'm a policy guy. I'm always looking for ways we can do these things better. And one of the things that struck me, Celeste, is we don't do enough in that final year or two before they turn 18 to prep them for that transition. And there ought to be structured programs to help make that facilitate those better choices. Yeah. You know, there are some states like Utah that will extend those foster care services all the way to age 26, depending on the situation. And I think that falls into right like biological homes where you can insure your children now to the age of 26. I think states that are not offering that are, are being urged to take, you know, harder looks at that. That's a that's a very important policy structure to say most of our kids in our own home. I think about my kids turning age 18. There wasn't a miraculous moment where, OK, now you're an adult. They all texted me and said adulting kind of sucks, frankly, <laughs> and they have a lot of supports. Right. So you take these kids that don't. And we have to offer a time to transition them. We have to do that as a system. And that means if you're giving them a bunch of services um, while they're in child welfare, you don't have a hard stop. Okay, well, today, good luck. I hope you were, it works out with your meds and I hope you can find a place to live and you know all the things that we're trying to help our kids at home do. That, that has to happen through policy shifts of extending services longer. And some states do it, Utah does. Not all states do that. Um, Arizona I, fails miserably in that area. Um, yeah, it's tough. And then they're the ones on the street and people are complaining. They're dealing with homeless, you know, right. young adults. So I'm like, where where do you think they came from? They they were put into that situation. Yep. Well, let's transition here as we have limited time. Let's talk about the Christmas box a little bit, which um, Richard created and funds quite a bit. And you're the executive director of. One thing I do want to know if you talk about it is how many kids have you heard? about? Tell us some success stories from the Christmas box. Yes. People. Yes. This is supposed to be a hopeful message today, so let's yeah, talk about yeah. some hope. Yes. Christmas Box International is is solution-driven, and that is what I like to end the conversation on. And that is, um, you know, the, the again, when they come into the program, it's all the way to age 18, so the sibling groups are staying together. That's a critical component to strength and success for these kids to have each other. So we have that. Um, and then when they're there, they receive wraparound services. Christmas Box is more than just a place. It is a concept where government, nonprofit, and community come together and wrap around and rally around the needs of a child. So dental care, well, child care visits, medication management, all the things that, you know, on the back end kids need. And then on the front end, we give them childhood experiences that many of them have never had before to let them know what that feels like. Let's say they've never been to an ice cream shop where they get to put their own toppings on. They've never, as an older sibling said, you get 30 minutes off to not be a parent and go play out in that yard. What does that even look like for you? And you know, th those are not therapeutic things that you can dismiss. To teach a child that they have a right to have a childhood is very significant because long-term, you're greatly affected by that. So 
Christmas we're getting Bible we're getting alumni here. coming back now. Oh, that's fantastic! Yeah, and get to talk to them. Yeah, I was at a I was at a book signing and I had this really long line and there's this young woman kept looking at me. She got closer and closer and finally it was her turn and I said, "Well, come on up." And she goes, "Um, my whole life, Mr. Evans, I've wanted to meet you." And I said, "You like my book?" She goes, "No, I've never read them." <laughs> Every thanks, so well, author loves to hear. Why them. did you want to meet me? She goes, "I'm a Christmas box house kid," and um. I said, how are you doing? She goes, well, I wanted to tell you, my brother and I were taken from my drug addict parents, very similar to what Celeste said. And no one wanted both of us, just one of us. And uh, because at the Christmas box house, we got to live together. And then mom and dad came and adopted both of us. She goes, I was told by my caseworker, if it wasn't for you in the Christmas box house, I would never would have had my brother. And I just want to say thank you for him. And what a beautiful, I mean, that's the kind of thing on your deathbed you're going to be thinking about, right? I mean, that's that's happy, happy news. And then Celeste and I were at a fundraiser at a high school. And here it is. The student body vice president gets up there and he goes, I want to show you all something. And he holds up a teddy bear. He goes, this is what I got when I walked into the Christmas box house. Ricky the raccoon. Rocky, <laughs> Rocky raccoon. He goes, I still have him after all these years. So these are wonderful success stories that we're seeing more and more of these kids grow up. We have alumni reach out every single day to me. I mean, there's not a day that goes by. I don't get an email from one. That's wonderful. Someone walks in the door and they say, I was here and I want to know how I can give back. I mean, talk about breaking a cycle. For them to come back and say, how can I help a system that removed me? is awesome i mean really it's amazing well celeste and richard we're going to end on that upbeat note for this christmas <laughs> show folks go you can visit the christmasbox.org and pick up the book garbage bag girl amazon.com richard paul evans store.com celeste edmonds.com celeste richard thanks for joining us today Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you and merry christmas to everyone out there in radio land and on the internet listening thank you have a great day so moving on from uh, Celeste Edmonds, Richard Paul Evans, her amazing story about her journey in her new book, Garbage Bag Girl. We're moving straight into Kylie's Corner, which normally is not a Christmassy type thing unless you feel nope. like mass murder is a Christmas thing. <laughs> nope, not right now. Okay. <laughs> Hopefully do nothing's we, happening. Do we, do, we, <laughs> do we have a non-morbid Kylie's Corner coming do. up? I have some fun facts that really? you can take wow. to the um, your Christmas table this year. Oh, fantastic. So oh, good. Uh, my first fact is people have been sending Christmas cards since 1843, and how the tradition started was Sir Henry Cole worked as a senior civil servant, um, and he helped assist opening what we now call the post office. But it, he wanted it; he wanted to try to encourage ordinary people to use it. So he came up with the idea of sending your family and friends Christmas cards, and he would charge one shilling which I looked it up, and that's about point zero zero six four cents. So he did this to pimp the Postal Service? Pretty much. Tried to get it going so that us... So it's not a Hallmark conspiracy. It's a Postal Service yeah. conspiracy. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and do you guys know what the first Christmas song that ever played in space was? Silent Night? Nope. What? Jingle Bells. So Jingle Bells Silent was Silent Night would be way more appropriate. Well, that's why I guessed it. Yeah, but, that was so cool. during yeah. the Gemini 6A space flight, it was broadcast by an astronaut in space down below as a joke. Um, and it was actually the first song ever played in space. Today it would be Mariah Carey if it was the first song. <laughs> exactly. Christmas <laughs> Jingle Bells was also originally written um, for Thanksgiving. And its original name was The One Horse Open Sleigh. Not, it was not written for Christmas. Wait, what? Why was it written for Thanksgiving? Don't ask those questions. I'm not sure. It's Kylie's Corner. These are just the fun facts. Come on. Wait a minute. (laughs) It just wasn't. (laughs) 
Um, so my next one is Christmas decorating. This is a little sad. Sends <laughs> nearly 15,000 people to the ER every year. So how 13,000 no, people? 15,000 people. Because of Christmas decorating? Yeah. Well, see, in my house, no one ever went to the ER, but the <laughs> manic panic for two weeks of decorating definitely put some people in yeah. the psychologist chair. That's 240 <laughs> injuries a day. The most common were falling incidents, lacerations, yeah, sure. or back strains. Yeah, I bet the latter people fought the latter. Well, okay, back strains don't count. Yeah, I agree. You shouldn't That's... be going. You just wait till the doctor opens after the holidays. Well, seriously, take a couple of ads. But I can see a lot of people, especially when they get older on those ladders falling sure. off. Oh, okay. sure, sure. Falling well, from the ladder is what happened, though. Yeah. Like... We... So the abbreviation Xmas actually means Christmas. Yeah, it actually used to be a Christian symbol back uh, in the olden times. Okay, that was something I didn't know. <laughs> Uh, so, or for the non-religious, Kylie. So I did, I did <laughs> oh, know bad. that, by the way. <laughs> and it drives me crazy because one year working with a candidate, not for them, but from my own account, I sent out a Merry Xmas, you know, mm-hmm. post, whatever. And I had all these people just tearing me apart. Oh, yeah, no, they get very grumpy about yeah. it. I did that once on a actually a church email reply. And they did right. get lectured. And I said, no, that's not what it means. You're, you know, right. blah, blah, blah. I, I, so thank you, Kylie. <laughs> yeah, for those that don't validation. know. Validation. <laughs> X means Christ. <laughs> um, and my final one is the Christmas tree was actually an ancient tradition that started back um, with the Egyptians and Romans, and they would decorate evergreens during the winter solstice to signify that spring is coming back and the green is coming back soon. I think as we finish up here, we can all agree Elf is the best Christmas movie. Absolutely. Die Hard is the best <laughs> Christmas movie. Oh. <laughs> if you're doing Die Hard, you have to do Lethal Weapon, which I watched this week because I was in the spirit. Yeah. F- <laughs> yes. Fully legitimate. But I, let's. Yeah. What, how can you even say Elf? Oh, come on. Folks, Kylie, thank you. That was very good. Yeah, take those to the Christmas table. Folks, we wish you a Merry Christmas. Um, if you think about it and do think about it, take the time to call someone who may need a phone call this weekend or an invitation over or go see them. I t- one of the things is a... A single guy who has to travel across the country, which I can't always do. It's really important to connect. If you're out there on your own, connect with your friends who are because chances are they're not doing anything either. And you're going to have more fun and more spirit working together. Get together. make Do a little dinner on your own. Do a little singles dinner. Pick up the phone. Yes. Take a coffee. But do it. And folks, we wish you a Merry Christmas. And we look forward next week to our New Year's Eve goal show. And again, we're we're going no no, no politics. politics next week. No politics. We're, we're, well, maybe. Anyway. But, well, <laughs> mostly. I mean, we did this with mostly non-politics. Yeah, we yeah, just exactly. talked about a problem. Yeah, exactly. A little bit. Folks, follow us at breakingbattlegrounds.vote. Subscribe on our Substack or visit anywhere you listen to your podcast. On behalf of Sam, Chuck, and Kylie of Kylie's Corner, and who and now, Jeremy, and who now knows X and Jeremy. Merry Christmas. Have a great weekend. Enjoy your loved ones.